whoa, I want to do that every single week. I just think that's a great way to start preaching right there. That is awesome. Hey, real quick, will you do me a favor and join me in saying a massive, massive thank you to Derek and our worship team and all of our tech crew and everybody who does such an incredible job. I don't know what it was this morning. My goodness. Something, something about it this morning. They took it to the HNL. And if you're new around here, the HNL, of course, means a whole nother level. That's, that's the HNL. Let's, let's have a word of prayer together as we dive into God's word together. Father, it is great to be in your house this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to experience, to encounter you personally, God, practically. Father, it's our prayer that you would use this time for your glory and for our good. We ask, God, that you would speak to each and every one of us exactly where you know we need you. And God, that you would speak to us collectively as a, as a family of faith. I ask, Father, that you would speak through me. I ask again this morning, God, that you would speak in spite of me. And we all collectively pray this prayer together in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin our new series, our new teaching series today with a confession. I have what you could call a history with fire. And I love a good bonfire, a good charcoal grill fire. I love a good brush pile fire, fireworks, you name it. I, I'm, I'm into it. And I'm not, I am not a pyromaniac per se. You could call me a pyro enthusiast, maybe. You know, one of the most challenging fire situations that I've ever encountered happened with our entire nuclear family in our home. It was right after the Christmas holidays, January, I think it was about 15 or so years ago, and we were cleaning up all of the Christmas decorations, boxing them up, getting ready to put them into storage, and we were just about finished for the evening, and Julie took down the, the live garland that had been adorning our mantle throughout the Christmas season. And, and I had an idea. I thought, you know what? Let's, let's protect the environment. Let's not add this to the trash pile. Let's throw this in the fireplace. And where were you 15 years ago? Let's, let's throw this in the fireplace and just burn it, just burn it as fuel for the fire. And so I, I gathered it all up and kind of bundled it up in my arms and you know, told the children to stand back and, and I very carefully, very deliberately threw this bundle of live garland into the fire and somehow, despite all of the safeguards I had taken, part of the garland kind of unspooled as I threw it into the fire and, and the bundle that hit the fire because it was live garland and had been exposed for the better part of a month in our house, the second it hit the fireplace, in a fireball, Julie reminded me of this later, it, it kind of tempered the mantle a little bit as it leapt out of the fireplace. And, and the, the part of the garland that had kind of strung out into the living room became like a lit fuse dipped in gasoline, and it just caught on fire immediately, fortunately. I am quick as a cat. 
And so I immediately started stomping it out and kicking it back into the fireplace. I grabbed the shovel of the fireplace tools and kind of started shoveling it back into the fireplace and kind of got it more or less under control. And I, I looked behind me and Emily and Joseph were cowering behind their mother looking out, is it safe to come out? And Julie just stood there shaking her head in disbelief at what she had just witnessed. That, that's, that's one experience of many that I, I could share with you to kick off this series. But the fact of the matter is, I've also had a lot of experience with, with other types of fires. The, the kinds of fires that everybody is familiar with and knows about. I'm talking about the, the fires of life, those, those challenges, those struggles, those setbacks, those pains. The, I, I remember when I was, I was 12 and my parents divorced and it was like the, the bottom dropped out of my world. I, I didn't know what to do with that. I, I remember you know, financial setbacks that Julie and I have weathered together. I remember, I remember marital fires that we have braved together. There, there was a time in our marriage where long, long time ago, we kind of looked at each other and Julie said to me, I, you may have married the wrong person. And we didn't know at that moment if we were going to even survive that fire, much less how to get through it, much less what would happen if there would even be a, on the other side. The fires of life are real to every single one of us. And just like the, the physical properties of fire that, that can create hurt or harm, those same physical properties are the same properties that allow fire to, to heat and to warm. And in the same way spiritually, I've noticed over the course of my life and, and watching God operate that he takes those, those fires of life and, and in his divine providence, in his, in his just immeasurable goodness is able to somehow use those fires to forge the faith that he's called me to. He, he uses those fires to, to forge not just our faith, but our, our character and, and our integrity. And it's in, that, it's in that forging, in those fires that we would never choose, that we see God do some of his most powerful, most profound personal work in our lives, because the reality is we all know at some point or another, we will absolutely face the fire. I mean, that's just a, that is a lead pipe lock cinch that we will face the fire at some point. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times the fires are due to circumstances beyond our control. But I've also noticed if I'm ruthlessly honest that sometimes the fires of my life are due to the consequences when I've lacked control. And it doesn't matter the, the root of the fire. The fact of the matter is that God promises in his word that whatever fire we face, that he promises in his amazing grace to bring to bear in our lives his complete absolute authority and limitless power to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are, and are called according to his purposes. All things, whether the fire is due to our own mistakes and consequences from them or 
whether they're due to outside circumstances. I think that 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 promise of God is why the book of James can tell us what it tells us about the trials that we encourage, that we encounter, the the fires of life, if you will. This is what James chapter one, verses two through four says. The Bible says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it's, it's through these trials, it's through the, the fires of life that God brings into our lives the, the, the practice of perseverance. Perseverance is just the, the capacity that God cultivates in our lives to choose grit over quit. It's the capacity to remain and to remain faithful no matter what. And that is what facing the fire with faith is all about. That's what it means as God forges our faith, our integrity, and our character. It's when he does that work in the fire that he's He's making us malleable. He's making us shapeable for those moments when we find ourselves on the anvil. And he's, he's shaping us. He's testing. He's tempering so that we can be more useful, so that we can be more effective for his glory and for our good and for the good of other people. And so that's kind of the anchor behind this entire series called Forged that we're kicking off today. Now, our guide throughout this series is going to be the biblical account of three men who actually faced an actual fire. I want you, if you have your Bibles, look in Daniel chapter number three. The book of Daniel is a fascinating study. Daniel and his closest companions were Jewish immigrants they, they, were, they were actually enslaved in Babylonian captivity around the time of 600 B.C. Archaeologists and historians believe that the fall of Jerusalem happened about 597 years before Christ, and it was after the fall of Jerusalem that the Israelites were, were displaced into Babylon, or what is currently modern-day Iraq. And Daniel had three really close friends named, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the four of them together faced an amazing opportunity, but also amazing obstacles in Babylonian captivity. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, the Bible tells the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing a literal fire because of their faith. But before we get to Daniel chapter three, there's something that's really interesting that happens in the very, very early years of their captivity. Now, the four of them were handpicked by the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire. He chose these four Israelites to be trained and schooled in palace protocol so that they could serve in his government. And they so excelled in their training that he chose Daniel to serve him in the palace personally as a consultant, as an interpreter of his dreams. But then he assigned 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together the governing of the province of Babylon. Now, Babylon was a city-state in this day and age. And Nebuchadnezzar was, was a king who had a massive, massive ego. He was, a, he was a huge builder. He was known for building things during this day and age. He was responsible for the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But during this building campaign that he was always engaged in, Nebuchadnezzar took it upon himself to create this massive monument just outside of Babylon. The Bible says that this massive monument was 90 feet tall, nine stories tall, nine feet wide at the base, and covered in gold. It was called Nebuchadnezzar Tower. And what happened was, some of y'all will get that at lunch, but it's really funny, I promise you. At the commissioning ceremony for this massive monument to himself, Nebuchadnezzar issued this kingdom-wide decree. Here, here's how the Bible puts it in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The decree went like this. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. Is it, do we have any zitherists in the crowd? I just we maybe have an audition. The zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, you have to understand, as soon as this decree went out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood the stakes. They knew, because they had been trained in palace protocol, they knew that to defy the king meant death. This was not a jail term. This was not a little fine and a slap on the wrist or, or even just political ostracization. This was death, and in this case, death by fire. But you have to understand the context because while they were in training, very early in their training period, they were being given the, the food from the king's table, which if you're enslaved is not a bad deal. But Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that to eat from the king's rich food and wine would violate the dietary restrictions that God had given Moses years before, centuries before. And so Daniel negotiated an agreement with their immediate overseer. He said, look, let's just do a test for 10 days. For 10 days, allow the four of us to just eat vegetables and drink water and then see how we appear compared to the other students in this palace protocol classroom. And so the overseer reluctantly agreed. They went through the 10-day process and needless to say, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego presented healthier, stronger, more vibrant, more vital than those who had been eating the rich food from the king's table. And they were hand-picked by Nebuchadnezzar for their particular political responsibilities. It was an amazing, amazing reversal of fortune. They went from being slaves to being in positions of real influence and power. And yet it's at exact this, exactly this moment of, of influence and power that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are presented with a fire. It is when they come face to face with the consequences of their faith in the face of the fire. And they knew, they knew that this, this political command violated directly 
at least the first two biblical commandments. The first one, of course, that God had given to Moses and Israel was, you will have no other gods before me, that you will worship only the one true God, Yahweh. And then the second commandment, that you would never worship a man-made idol. And yet that is exactly what they were facing. And so they, they, they had this, this moment of, of dilemma of, of how do we honor the king who holds our lives physically in his hand, but then how do we also honor our king, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the one who has delivered us from all that has beset the Israelite people for all these many centuries? It's an amazing dilemma. And it's a dilemma that was accentuated and amplified by their enemies. Because there, there was a group of people who were kind of keeping watch over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible doesn't include Daniel in this particular fire and in this particular conflict. But there was a group of people who were jealous of the position, of the power that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Look at what happened in verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. So these astrologers, just understand this. These would have been the, the academic elites, the cream of the crop in this day. These would have corresponded to the wise men who visited Jesus 600 years later. The, the magi, that's who this was. The astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in the province of Babylon. You've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Can't you just hear the suck-up factor in this little conversation? This is just, just horrible. But they, they knew Nebuchadnezzar. Old Nebi, he had him an ego. And they knew how to play it. They're like, oh, long live the king. Long live, you have made this decree in all of your wisdom. And yet there are some Jews, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's not the point. The point is you have made a decree and anyone who defies your decree is to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, if I can, just for a quick, hot second, this is a great reminder of why we celebrate in our nation the separation of church and state because we are protected from the state infringing on our right to worship as we choose to worship, to preach and to teach what we believe, to live as we live. This is our guardian that we need to make sure that we understand is a gift. You never, say never. never. You never want the state or the government dipping their toe into religion. Even if they start to endorse your religion, you don't want that. Because, oh, I am. Because <laughs> the second, the second that we give the government any purchase in our faith is the moment they can begin to dictate what we teach and preach and what we say and sing. May it never be. That's why we stay engaged in the political process. We vote our conscience. We vote our principles. We vote our morals. And we elect people who tell the truth. 
We elect people who honor this gift that God has given to us in the wisdom of our founding fathers. Now, back to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and okay, I'm not, done, I'm not done yet. Don't be sucked in. Don't be sucked in if somebody tells you they want to institutionalize our religion or our faith. Don't do it. That is a, that is a, mm, that's a hot mess waiting to happen. So we honor the government. We pray for those who lead us. We pray for everybody, irrespective of their political leanings. We pray for them and we honor their positions of authority. But we stay in the game. Now I'm done. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are confronted with this massive dilemma. They've been accused, honestly, of not bowing down to this huge idol, of not honoring the law of the land. You see, faithfulness will always demonstrate itself through distinctives. Faithfulness will always demonstrate itself through distinctives. It, our faith means that we must be distinct. We must be different from. We don't have to be weird, but we gotta be different from the world. We, we function differently because we answer to a higher calling. Our lives should not look the same as people who don't follow Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their lives looked different. They did not bow to the idol. And look at how old Nebi responded. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. You know what I thought about when I read this again? It's kind of like parents who look at their kids and go, one, two. That's kind of what Nebby's doing here with the three amigos. He's saying, I'll give you one more chance to bow down. when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He was an egomaniac, narcissist, nut job. Lovingly speaking. What God will rescue you Nebuchadnezzar had, had started to believe his own press releases. He had set himself up above God or any God, and he believed that he held all the cards, all the power. And it's at this moment that you see the faithfulness before the fire. They're not in the fire and I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you what happens this week. Cliffhanger. you got to come back. But their faithfulness before the fire set the stage 
for God's forging their faith in the face of the fire. They're their faithfulness all the way back to when they were going through their training, when, when they started and they wouldn't eat from the king's table. You, you saw a hint of their faithfulness in that moment. You saw, you saw the, the core of their character, the intensity of their integrity. And you're like, man, who are these young guys? 15, 16, 17 years old probably. Standing up and saying, we won't eat the best food? <laughs> you, you saw it right there. So when it was really time, when it was really tested, they, they, they had a history of faithfulness that had prepared them for this fire. They, they had a history. And, and, and they knew the right answer. They, they knew the consequences, but they knew the right answer. Check this out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Now, keep in mind, Nebuchadnezzar has already had a royal hissy fit. Remember, it said he flew into a rage. And now they say, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Whoa. Man. Can we just take, just a, let's just take a hot second here in 2019, United States of America, enjoying the freedoms that we enjoy. Just, just for a second, put yourself in the sandals of the three amigos. I want you to really and truly think about that for a second. I'm not doing it, your majesty. All due respect. I will not bow. Knowing, knowing that the consequence of that decision is death. Death by fire. It's not quick. It's not painless. Again, their faithfulness, their faithfulness demonstrated itself through their distinctives. They were willing to be different in order to make a difference. They were willing for their lives to look different than everybody else who bowed down when the music blasted. They were willing to die. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope, I hope I would do the same thing, but man, I... I don't know. There, there, have been, there have been some fires in my life where, I, I'll be honest, I, I wanted to hang it up. Have you ever wanted to quit? Anybody in the room ever wanted to quit on something that really mattered? I'm just curious. Here's something I've noticed, and I've done, I've done a little informal survey on this, by the way. I have never in my life met anyone, talked to anyone, 
or heard of anyone who did anything of any merit whatsoever who didn't at some point want to quit. Every time. Every single time. But then you go back and you, that, that first verse that we read back in James, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you consider trials of many kinds. I'll be honest. When, when I first encounter a trial, my first step, my reflex in and of myself is not to go, this is a joy. <laughs> this is just awesome. That's not my first step. Now, usually, prayerfully, I get there. But then I remember, this, okay, I'm 52 years old. I've, I've seen God's faithfulness over and 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 over again. And when I feel like quitting, I, I've got to remember, he didn't bring me this far to leave me hanging. He, it's not like he's been faithful for 52 years, or as I like to say, 52. He hadn't been faithful for 52 years, and then all of a sudden, just good luck, Mac. Hope it works out. No, he, he's using that fire to test and to temper me, to, 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 to make me malleable. And so I can be more closely conformed to his image, to his, his character and his personality, his likes and his dislikes, his wisdom and his insights. That, that's what the fire is for. And so when, when, when I go through the fire, when I'm in the fire, and, and he pulls me out and, I'm, and I find myself on the anvil, and, and I'm being shaped, I'm being hammered, it is always, always for good. It is always for good. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things. Don't ever, don't ever believe anybody who tells you something like, God will never give you more than you can handle. It sounds great. Looks super on a bumper sticker. Don't put it on your car because it's not the truth. The reality is that God frequently allows more than I can handle into my life. He frequently will allow it into your life so that we choose to collaborate with him, so that we choose to trust him more than ourselves. This is what the Bible, the Bible actually says. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You will encounter a fire that you can't handle. Now, the temptation might be to quit. You might be tempted to go, mm -mm, no, not walking through that fire. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's the temptation. But when you remember, what does it say? There is no temptation 
that is not common to what others experience. This is part of the genius and grace of God. He gives us each other to weather these fires. Doesn't it just make sense that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it, it was a hard thing to do to stand up to old King Nebi. But doesn't it just make sense that it was a little bit easier because they had each other? The three of them could stand together. And, and, and the Bible says that together they answered him and said, we will not do it. That's part of the miracle of the church, that we, we've got each other, that we, we know other people who have gone through fires similar to what we've gone through. They face temptations similar than what we face, similar to what we face. And so when I know about your temptations, when I know about your fires, then I can kind of go, well, if he made it, I, maybe I can I'll take one more step. I'll take one more step. Trusting that God will provide a way out of the temptation to quit. And God has provided a way out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. The way out is the way through in Jesus Christ, in a relationship with God. That's the way out. It is through the fire. This is the promise of God. This is what he has offered to do, not just for us, but with us. Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's an amazing promise from the heart of God to the heart of anybody who will claim it. This is what God says. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He won't do it. You link arm in arm with God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you know that you face your fire, whatever it might be, again, maybe your fire is because of, maybe it's because of circumstances beyond your control. You didn't do anything, but it's, it's your fire. Maybe, maybe your fire is due to consequences when you lacked control. Whatever, whatever the, the setting of your fire, he will never leave you nor forsake you. But it is in our faithfulness that we are forged through the fire. It is in the faithfulness of God by his supernatural power that we are empowered to withstand the fire whatever it might be, whenever it might come. Now, I, I don't know, I, I don't know where you are today. You, right now, things may be just golden, golden for you. Like, like maybe for somebody here today, the worst part for you, the worst part of your life right now is the fact that it was raining and cold this morning. 
And you were like, ah, I don't know about going to church. They've got it online. I could, I could live stream. That, that may be you. But there, there may be people here. As a matter of fact, I know there are people here who are in the middle of a fire. And all I can tell you is, you're not alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Will you bow your heads with him for just a moment? And in this, in this moment, in this, this moment of prayer, I want to just ask you to consider This Jesus, the fact that he offers himself to you as the way, not only the way through the fires of life, but the way to a relationship with God, a relationship that he died on the cross and rose from the dead to facilitate, to make available to us. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, you've never, take, never taken that first step, why not right now? Just in this moment, in this service of worship, respond to the amazing grace initiative of Jesus. It doesn't, it's not, it's not complicated. It just means that you choose to follow Christ with everything that you have, with every part of your life. That you confess your sin to him, holding nothing back in order to receive his forgiveness. And you begin a relationship with him. You begin living and functioning as a part of the family of faith, the community of Christ. If that's you today, then we invite you to pray just right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God and from your heart to his, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. With our heads bowed for just a moment, a sacred moment, if that was your prayer, then it's important that you know this is the biggest moment of your life. And we wanna help with what 
comes next because a moment like this kind of begs the question, okay, what next? And so, so that we can help at whatever pace works for you, I wanna ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you would, fill out that connect card that's in the program. Just right now, just quietly, just open it up and start filling it out. You'll notice about a third of the way down, there's a place to indicate that I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you've completed that card, you can kind of fold it back on itself there. The, the fold is also perforated. Just tear it off at the perforation. And when we dismiss in a couple of minutes, just hand that card to one of our ushers, our hosts, or one of the folks out at the hub underneath the big front porch so that we can help. And then the second thing is our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed for just another moment. If that was your prayer, that prayer of commitment, I wanna ask you to do something just, just very, very quickly. Quietly, if you would, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. Your hand in the air it is really simple. It's just a physical statement about a spiritual commitment that you made. And so your hand in the air stamps this moment in your life and in the life of this church. And as the family of faith that we hope to be and pray to be with you, as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.